Today is a service, a time of so many emotions. It is a service of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving of an amazing life. Thanksgiving of incredible memories. We'll hear stories. It's also a day of sadness, of saying goodbye to a very, very loved and dear person. And it's right that we hold all these emotions today. Esther, dear Esther, so wonderful with words and accents and humour. A hard act to follow as I talk to you now, but I'm privileged and delighted to be able to share something of what she meant to me and to many others here in this church today, in our church family and beyond. And I just hope I can do her justice. I first met Esther soon after we joined the church here, um, about 28 years ago now, and seeing we had young children, she introduced herself and offered to babysit should we need that. Of course, our girls loved it when she came to babysit, and there began a very special friendship with us. What fun she was to be with, too. She certainly loved to entertain people. And the other day, I was remembering the harvest suppers we had many years ago, which were followed by various sketches and songs. Esther always contributed, sometimes sharing the stage with Thelma Pollard, some of you will remember too. She had an amazing memory and, of course, never forgot her words. And in no time, she had everyone of all ages almost helpless with laughter. I expect some of you will remember her reciting the poem about wearing purple. Do you know the one? that starts, When I'm an old woman, I shall wear purple with a red hat that doesn't go and doesn't suit me. <laughs> when she gave a talk to the mums from our toddler group, a few years ago, they could have gone on listening to her for hours as she regaled them with stories of delivering babies and nursing all over the world, complete with all the foreign accents, of course. She also appeared on Countdown on television not so very long ago and was completely unfazed by the teasing she received from the presenter and had an answer for everything. Esther has given so much love, care and help and so much of her very self to hundreds of people. She used any opportunities given her to speak to others of the love of God. One particular incident sticks in my mind. I wasn't there, but she told me about it. She was about to come out of hospital following the removal of a kidney due to cancer, and a nurse asked if she was feeling okay. And Esther replied, I feel as though I have been wrapped in a duvet of God's love. Just an example of the way she used words so well. And I've used those to encourage other people who are struggling and need a bit of tender, loving care. I'm quite sure that the mothers whose babies she delivered really valued her common sense, good care, encouragement and sense of humour. I gather some wanted to name their new child after her even. And many other times that she met families moving into her neighbourhood and encouraged them to come to church or to bring their children to the children's work going on. She had a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. And so it was no surprise when she joined the Open the Book team when we started up eight years ago. For those of you who haven't come across Open the Book, 
Esther told me to tell you this, by the way. Uh, it's an organisation uh, which encourages teams of people from churches to go into primary schools and to tell and act out Bible stories. And most weeks um, we use some of the children from there, which helps the stories to really come alive as they act their parts. And Esther considered it very important now that so many children don't hear these stories at home or, and sometimes in the other schools, although in our local schools we're very fortunate to have wonderful teaching and Christian teaching. We go into two of the local schools where we are given a wonderful welcome and the children clearly enjoy our visits. One child said how these assemblies helped her to feel part of the story and what it must have felt like actually to be there. That really warmed Esther's heart. She didn't really have much cause to use her Indian, Canadian, Cockney and Birmingham accents uh, for these presentations, but she was brilliant at learning her words, of course, even though latterly it was quite hard for her to see enough to even to read them. And she really entered into the acting and the dressing up too. Her deafness made it increasingly hard for her, but she never gave up and we found ways as a group to ensure she stood close to the person who was going to be giving her her cue. She certainly didn't want to let us down in any way. And as Tester Winard, the head teacher of Wanish and Shamley Green School, said, what a superb example she has been of keeping on going despite her illness and her disability. She was an inspiration, a treasure, and so loved by the children and staff. Esther was indeed a true ambassador for Open the Book, and I know of at least two other churches who have started taking it into their local schools as a direct response to Esther talking to them about it and encouraging and enthusing them. As well as Open the Book, Esther also went into the school locally several times in recent years to talk to the older children about her wartime experiences as a vacuee. She went to a great deal of trouble collecting up things to take in to show them. And I believe she even went to the Guildford Museum to see if she could get hold of a, um, a gas mask to show them. I don't know whether she got it in the end, actually. I didn't find out. But anyway, she, if she was going to do something, she did it properly. Uh, these children's class teacher, Jenny, said how she too appreciated those inspirational visits and how she herself would never forget the talks from that remarkable lady. Esther always made what she said memorable. Furthermore, she was thrilled, this teacher, that Esther went to her wedding service, and I know Esther was thrilled to be there too. No doubt it was living through a war which taught her not to waste things. When she had finished with or could no longer use something, she particularly liked to pass it on to others who she felt would really appreciate it and use it. She had a knack of choosing just the right thing for each individual. And then there were the prayers and poems that she wrote out in her beautiful handwriting for people. I still have quite a collection. Going back to the school, another teacher who has known Esther for quite a few years recalled many lovely memories of her. She said, a true friend whom she would miss, <clears throat> as would everyone at Wanisha Shamley Green School. In fact, of course, we will all miss her. But it's good to know that she is free from the deafness, blindness and illness now. She's with her saviour, and I don't doubt is singing in harmony with the angels with her lovely Welsh voice. All that Esther shared with us here on earth, I believe will be a lasting legacy to us from her, 
influencing our lives for good. I just wanted to draw your attention to the verse at the beginning of the quote on the front of the service paper here, um, which is just so right for Esther. The love with which we lived our lives is the life of God within us. This love will not only remain, but will also bear fruit from one generation to another. And I see that fruit going on in the younger generations now. So we will remember with thanksgiving her encouragement, teaching and example as we live out our own lives. Thank you. Uh, Giles has asked me to uh, read uh, a document that he found amongst his mother's papers. Um, But before I read it, I have to explain uh, one or two uh, Welsh names. I do have the benefit, of course, that there's somebody in heaven encouraging me to pronounce them correctly. (laughs) The first is Merlin. Of course, we know Merlin from the round table, who was a Welshman looking after the spirituality of those knights. The second is Mabinoigon. Mabinoigon is the oldest record of uh, prose literature uh, in the British language. It was compiled in mid-Welsh in uh, the 12th to the 13th centuries. And uh, Sangan Henoid is a village which is um, just four miles outside um, Caerphilly. In uh, 1913, it had the biggest mining colliery disaster that ever took place in the British Isles. 439 uh, miners were killed and one rescuer. This is what somebody has written about it and it might help you to understand uh, the Welsh psyche. Fires in the workings hampered rescue efforts and it took several days before they were under control. It took six weeks for most of the bodies to be recovered and the fire to be extinguished. The subsequent inquiry pointed to errors made by the company and its management leading to charges of negligence against Edward Shaw, the colliery manager, and the owners. Shaw was fined £24, while the company was fined £10. It was calculated that the cost of each miner lost was just five and a half old pence. Two pence in today's money. What is Welshness? It is a wine you can never chill. It's a welcome you can seldom outstay. It is a warmth and homeliness and concern and gregariousness and a kindness which will dissemble rather than hurt. Welshness is a sense of kinship with all men, born of closely shared danger and hardship, and deprivation in farming and mining and quarrying communities. It is a small-mindedness too, and touchiness, and a sense of inferiority, and much, much more. But whatever else it is, with hand on heart and heart on sleeve, it is passionate. Because the one extravagance of the Welsh is words, and their abiding passion is literacy. 
The Welsh voice is unimportant and insignificant in the councils of the world. But wherever men gather together to tell tales and to breathe fire and to make intricate poetry and to define the rights of men, to start a revival and to break down barriers, to sing Messiah and to score a try, there will be a Welshman to remind the company of what Merlin and Mabigoyon and the Heart of the Union and St. Geniad and the Royal Nationalised Stedford of Wales has created. I'd like just, if I may, to add one word to Nicky's um, tribute. Um, I was preaching in Northampton on one occasion and I got to that point where I wanted to say to everybody that there was no one who couldn't make a positive contribution, no matter what their age. And so I said I knew of a lady of a certain age who participated in Open the Book. At the end of the service, two ladies come up to me. One was of a certain age. And she said, do you know, I've always wanted to make a contribution and I couldn't think what it was. And the other lady said, that she ran the local Open the Book. And the two had got together. You see, when you start the ripples going, they might even reach Northampton. <laughs> Can I add uh, my own thank you to Debbie's uh, for being here uh, this afternoon to help us celebrate Esther, Mum, grandma's uh, life uh, she would be so thrilled to see so many of you here and it is a real joy thank you so much many of you have travelled some distance to be here so we are truly grateful to have you here as you may know uh, mum and as uh, Nikki touched on uh, mum did ma- uh, many talks in her retirement entitled Life's Little Difficulties In one of Mum's many notebooks, she recorded well over 50 different organisations and groups that she'd spoken to, some inviting her back by popular demand. That'll come as no surprise to you that knew her. So Charlie and I thought that we would begin our tribute as she often began her talks. I know you haven't heard of us here at St John's Wanish. We usually speak at St John's Eastbourne. Mind you, they haven't heard of us there either. As David's reading reminded us, to be Welsh is to be shaped by hardship, to be warm-hearted, to be gregarious and to love words. We hope that those that knew Grandma even a little will recognise that Welshness as we remember aspects of her full and adventurous life, punctuated and shaped, of course, by some of life's little difficulties. Esther was born in Aberdare on the 11th of October 1929, the fourth of seven children. When war broke out, uh, Mum and her younger sister Mary, who is uh, here today, uh, were evacuated from Ramsgate, where the family had moved to following the closure of the mines in South Wales. Always poking fun at herself, Grandma used to tell the story of how she and Mary were the last of the evacuees chosen. As the story goes, the lady said, I have that little pretty one, but I don't want that tall skinny one. (laughs) 
mum, the tall, skinny one, despite being just 11, was having none of it and insisted that they weren't to be separated. Rather reluctantly, the lady took them both. (laughs) A year later, their mother found a home for them back in Wales. However, they were only reunited for a few years when their mother died in the winter of 1945. Mum was just 16. Having had a disruptive disruptive education, disrupted education, it might have been disruptive as well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She left school at 14 without the school certificate. Undeterred, after caring for her younger siblings and sometime working on a farm, she was selected for nurse training and qualified as a registered nurse in 1953 and as a state-certified midwife the following year. Grandma loved midwifery and had many tales to tell of her time delivering babies, including the story of the mum who, after a long and difficult delivery, insisted on naming the baby girl after Grandma. That's very thoughtful, explained Grandma, but you really don't want to do that. No, nurse, I absolutely insist. You have been a tower of strength. Well, said Grandma, it's a biblical name, and I'm sure you'd rather choose something yourself. No, nurse, absolutely, I insist. Now, what is your name? Well, replied Grandma, it's Esther. Oh, blimey, what an awful name. (laughs) (laughs) History doesn't record what the child was called in the end. (laughs) Mum practised midwifery until 1956 before applying to be a health visitor. As she applied in March, she had to wait for the start in the academic year, so she took a job as an au pair in Bavaria, teaching English to three children of a wealthy family who owned a pottery. Mum loved her time in Bavaria and picked up a decent smattering of German. Whilst her vocabulary was limited as a natural mimic, her accent was excellent. (laughs) After qualifying as a health visitor, Grandma went to work at Manitoba as a public health nurse to care for Eskimos and Indians in Hudson Bay. Whilst in Canada, Grandma joined a local amateur dramatic society and enjoyed several rave reviews from the Winnipeg Tribune, including this one. Esther Davis as Emily, a puritanical old maid who disapproves of everything, shows a wonderful grasp of the role and a natural instinct. Even without the technical perfection, she is Emily. As she sits grimly knitting, she becomes the most interesting character in the whole play. Her voice is excellent and her accent flawless. In 1963, Mum went to Singapore to work as a Safa sister. It was here she met my dad, who was stationed there with the Royal Navy. In June 1965, they were married by the chaplain of the fleet, who apparently had been used to speaking to men in a Force 8 gale, and, as the story goes, seemed incapable of moderating his volume for the quieter surroundings of the naval chapel. The following year, Grandpa Chips left the Navy and they set out for Australia on the £10 ticket. Their adventures in Australia, including driving across the Nullarbor Desert in a clapped-out old Renault. Dad, Dad was born in Sydney in 1967, and the following year as a family, they returned to England, settling in Guildford, where Grandma renewed her career as a health visitor. 
health visiting was a very natural occupation for someone who regarded every stranger as a friend they'd not yet met. And many lasting friendships were established between mum and her mums, and it is a great joy to have some of them here uh, with us this afternoon. And she loved being that health visitor. Well, whilst health visiting was mum's chosen profession, those that knew her well would recognise that she might have pursued another vocation as Shalford's answer to David Dickinson. Every bit as good at spotting a bargain, but a lot less orange. (laughs) In the days of jumble sales, mum was always first in the queue. But it wasn't just jumble sales where mum picked up bargains. Skips were rich pickings too. (laughs) Having first asked the homeowner for permission, she once retrieved an oil painting of the battleship from a skip in Guildford. It later transpired and it had been commissioned as a gift to the Kuwaiti Defence Department as part of an unsuccessful contract that Grandpa Chips had been working on some ten years later. It still has pride of of place in his home. Mum's instinct for a bargain also extended to a role as a mum and homemaker. This was particularly true after my dad left and we moved to Woodbine Cottages, mum's home for the next 42 years. Nothing would be wasted and everything would be bought with one eye on the future. That included my first school blazer. It had so much potential for growth that I was still wearing it (laughs) eight years later when I left. In Grandma's many notebooks with clippings and quotes was the following. His mum was so hard up, she bought his clothes from the Army and Navy surplus store. In fact, until he was 11, he thought he was a Japanese admiral. (laughs) My dad leaving when I was seven was to prove one of the greatest of life's little difficulties for us both. But as Mum would conclude her talks, she also came to recognise that these difficulties could also be the source of some of life's richest blessings too. During these years, despite my own growing indifference and rejection of faith, Mum's own faith grew. In 1987, that rejection and rebellion reached a crescendo when I was arrested and imprisoned for serious drug offences. That's not a joke, by the way. Despite the devastation this caused among family and friends, mum remained strong and resolute. And in her support, she was unwavering. Even writing directly to Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister of the day, to explain how difficult it was to work full-time in the health service and visit her son some 150 miles away in Cardiff Jail. As a direct result of her letter, I was moved a week later to Winchester. During this time, Mum received wonderful support from the Charity Prison Fellowship, who she wanted us to support today. The motto of Prison Fellowship comes from the Gospel of Matthew. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. That verse speaks of the tenderness of God to those who find themselves broken, those who find themselves on the margins. These verses characterise the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. 
mum had experienced his tender loving ministry in her life and through her steadfastness and the prayers of many, some of whom are here today, I began to experience the gentle and transforming power at work in my own life too. One of mum's favourite prayers reflects the way in which she was convinced that God is silently at work, even in the midst of those prayers in life that seem to go unanswered. I asked God for my strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Despite many little difficulties later in life, including the cancer that would take her from us. Mum knew that she was richly blessed and that gave her a zest and an energy that defied her years and its limitations. How many of us, for example, at the age of 76, managed to get themselves enrolled in a GCSE class from their local secondary school, as Mum did? Not only did the presence of this granny figure result in the best behaved class the teacher had ever experienced, but also produced grandma's first GCSE. And it gave me great pleasure to be there at her graduation ceremony when the whole of St Peter's Merrow Grange got to their feet and applauded her as she went up and got her GCSE. Just a few years later, at the tender age of 82, Grandma was successful in appearing on the TV quiz Countdown with Nick Ewer. She did extremely well with the words, of course, but as she uh, reminded Rachel and I only the day before she died, maths was always my nemesis. (laughs) What people loved about her was her unwavering enthusiasm and that irrepressible sense of fun and love of humour and of words. And so it is only fitting that we leave you with one of Mum's favourite poems by Spike Milligan, entitled, Have a Nice Day. Help, help, said a man, I'm drowning. Hang on, said a man from the shore. Help, help, said the man, I'm not clowning. Yes, I know, I heard you before. Be patient, dear man who is drowning. You see, I've got a disease. I'm waiting for a Dr. J. Browning, so do be patient, please. How long, said the man who was drowning, will it take for the doctor to arrive? Not very long, said the man with the disease. Till then, try staying alive. Very well, said the man who was drowning. I'll try and stay afloat by reciting the poems of Browning and other things he wrote. Help, help, said the man with the disease. I suddenly feel quite ill. Keep calm, said the man who was drowning. Breathe deeply and lie quite still. Oh dear, said the man with the awful disease. I think I'm going to die. 
Farewell, said the man who was drowning. Said the man with the disease. Goodbye. So the man who was drowning drowned. And the man with the disease passed away. But, but apart, apart from, from that, that and a fire in my, my flat, cat, it's been a very, very nice day. day. <laughs> so this reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, starting there. Um, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with your power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, how to grasp wide and long and how deep and high is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do all immeasurably more than all of us, and all we ask for or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to be him in his glory in the church, and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I first met Esther at St. Saviour's in Guildford before I came to minister here in Wanish. I'd been offered the job, and um, so my name was known, and Esther knew that I was at St. Saviour's, but that wasn't why she had come. Esther had come in on the bus from Shalford and had met somebody. She'd met a young mum who was new to the area and didn't know anyone at all. And as she chatted, she said, I know the place to take you. And so Esther turned up at St. Saviour's with a young mum saying, I'm sure you can help this person. And we were able to help her find her way into a toddler group. She then mentioned to the person on the desk that um, she was part of Wanish and that Wanish was getting me. So um, they found me and I met Esther for that first time. And I saw what her ministry was all about long before I ever came here. So much of Esther's life has been about reaching out to others, whoever, wherever, and particularly on the bus. (laughs) She would reach out because she cared, because she loved, and she wanted to show that love to other people. She also longed deeply that those other people would also sense something of the love of Christ. She knew the love of Christ in her life and she longed to love others, but she longed that they would also experience something of the love of Christ for themselves. That's why it's such a fantastic reading to have read today. Such an amazing reading. I think it's one of the most powerful readings in Scripture because Paul is talking about the love of Christ. Paul the man who had been so against the Christians, the one who had been so convinced that his way was right and that this Jesus character was not who he said he was. Paul had been completely overwhelmed by the love of Christ. He'd met him in that amazing encounter on the road to Damascus. And he lived his life from then on 
in the deep knowledge of how much Christ loved him. What a way to live. To live in the power of the love of Christ. That is what St. Paul did. But he didn't stop there. He longed for others to know the depths of that love. And in this passage, we can hear that passion. It's bursting out of him. He falls upon his knees. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he calls out to God with deep, deep longing that all who have come to know Christ might continue on their journey and develop that understanding and knowledge of God's love, of Christ's love within them. You can imagine that tense prayer, perhaps going on all night, that deep, deep longing that what he had experienced in his life, he longed that others would. He talks about the depths of God's love. How can we measure how much we are loved by Christ? And this passage always reminds me of that children's story, Guess How Much I Love You little hair and big hair, having that competition of how much do you love me? I love you this much, I love you that much, I love you more. And at the end, big nut brown hair, putting little nut brown hair on his shoulder, taking him outside and looking at the moon and saying, I love you to the moon. And big nut brown hair, when little nut brown hair falls asleep, whispering in his ear, I love you to the moon and back trying to understand how much we are loved is phenomenal because it blows our imagination. And we have to try to picture things like to the moon and back. What is further than the moon? To Saturn, to whatever else. We cannot define how much we are loved by God, but we can experience it. Even if we cannot articulate what that love looks like, what it specifically says in our lives, what we can do is experience it. We can experience God's love surrounding us. And Paul, in his deep prayer, is praying, I pray that all those who know Christ may know the depths of his love, the heights of his love, the length, the width. Because it's only in that love that we can stand strong. It is only in the love of Christ that Esther could stand firm in her foundations through life's little difficulties, through the ups and downs, in the good and the bad she could testify to the love of Christ in her life. No wonder she wanted others to know that love. No wonder it was bursting out of her in in the practical ways as well as in the deep ways. Always ready to show love that ultimately was Christ's love. The love flowing through her out to other people. But also ready to explain that love so easy, isn't it, as Christians, just to love people and for it to end there. But actually, she articulated what it was about. And she was quick in her inimitable way to explain what it was all about, to talk about her faith and the fact that her life was founded in the love of Christ. So when a doctor said to her, I'm afraid your future is uncertain, she could reply with a smile on her face, you're wrong. My future is absolutely certain. Because that's who she was. I will miss Esther terribly. We've heard about who she was and what she gave to people in her life. And she always gave me huge encouragement. 
little notes in my pigeon home or through the post to get a letter with a stamp on it and the little notes of encouragement, of relevant comments about a sermon I'd preached. She wasn't one that just said, nice sermon, vicar. She went away and thought about it and came up with something that she said, actually, I was reading this and I thought you would be interested in that. I knew she went away and thought about what had been said and carried on that journey. What, you know, what vicar wouldn't want that? And a relevant comment back to show me that she was continuing on, that I'd sparked something off and she developed it. She was very good at giving gifts and we have a gift at home that she left on our doorstep. Again, she'd have got the bus into Wanish and she left this on our doorstep. And we've kept the label. It came several months ago. And it says, for Paul's pilgrimage to Canterbury from Esther with love. Because when she heard that as a church we are making a pilgrimage to Canterbury, I think she was actually concerned, Paul, about your ability to do it. (laughs) Note, I haven't got one. Or maybe she thought I wasn't doing it. But anyway, Paul has received. It's not actually going to be tall enough for him. For Paul's pilgrimage to Canterbury. And I looked at that the other day and I thought, this stick is a symbol for so much about Esther. This is a staff, it's a guide, it's a support, it will help. Who is Esther's staff and support? It was Jesus Christ. And throughout her life, it was on Jesus Christ that she lent, that was her guide and who led her through. And so today, I can stand here with confidence and say that St. Paul's prayer has been answered. Because face to face with Jesus, Esther knows without question of doubt what is the height, the length, the depth, and the width of the love that he has for her. And she dwells in eternity, surrounded by that love. Amen. Just before we come to our prayers, I'm going to say a few words with Giles' permission. I was with Esther on the Sunday before she died on the Monday. And as I walked in, she said, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm on morphine. I'm very sleepy which, being interpreted, said, don't stay long. (laughs) She uh, wanted a little job to be done. And uh, then I said to her, uh, what would you especially like me to pray for? And I prayed. And then I said to her, Esther, I'm really going to miss your jokes. She said, I will tell you one last joke. This is her joke. There was an archbishop, and he was invited to a dinner at Buckingham Palace. And because it was Buckingham Palace, it was a very posh dinner. And because it was a posh dinner... It had 15 courses. And when it came to the fish course, the person sitting next to the archbishop said, 
And what is this? The archbishop looked carefully and he said, this is the piece of cod that passes all understanding. (laughs) So, with a smile on our faces, let's pray. Father, so often Esther put a smile on our faces and how we thank you for her. Thank you for all the fun and laughter that she brought into our lives. Thank you for her inquiring mind, her memory, her love of words, her spontaneity and sense of fun. Thank you for her generosity and the interest she took in all whom she met both professionally in her working life, in her friendships, and simply in the casual contacts made on the bus, at the bus stop, in a queue, or at a hospital appointment. And thank you for her faith and trust in you. Thank you that she knew your support and strength during the hard times the times over the years when things were far from easy. And thank you that even on her short fuse days, she knew that you are her rock. Thank you that she's passed that faith onto Giles, contributing to him being a man of God who relies on you. Thank you for her family and the love she had for each one of them, the fun she had with them. Lord, you know how much we will all miss her, but especially her family. May they all know your comfort, your forgiveness where things were left undone your strength for each new day and your hope in their hearts as they look ahead. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Esther. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now let's join together in the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. As we stand, we commend Esther to the mercy of God, our Maker and Redeemer. God, our Creator and Redeemer, by your power, Christ conquered death and entered into glory. Confident of his victory and claiming his promises, we entrust Esther to your mercy. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, who died 
and is alive and reigns with you now and forever. Amen. And may God give you his comfort and his peace, his light and his joy in this world and the next, and the blessing of God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.